excited about. Wheel of Fortune. Contestants win the vacation you've always dreamed about. We aspire to someday to live in our dream house. We want to live the American dream. Uh, he wants to find the girl of his dreams. And remember the game Dream Date, girls? Can you find the perfect guy? He's so dreamy. And how about this? When you want to bless someone, may all your dreams come true. So we need to dream. But life has a way of killing dreams. Sometimes real life is a nightmare. You set out with these high hopes for your career, your family, your kids, maybe your golden years. You have plans, aspirations, and expectations, but things don't always turn out as you expected. People let you down or you let yourself down. Tragedies happen, and suddenly the life you're living is not the life you dreamed of at all. Now, I know this is a weird way to start an Easter sermon. Easter is supposed to be, of course, about the resurrection, which it is. And for some, you know, it's about bunnies and eggs and lambs and baby chicks and new clothes and a big dinner and, and a new lease on life. Did you know, we're not the only ones that go crazy at Easter. In medieval times, a festival of egg throwing was held in some churches. Wouldn't that be fun? The priest would throw a hard-boiled egg to one of the choir boys, and they tossed it to the next choir boy and just tossed it among themselves. And when the clock struck 12, whoever held the egg was the winner. You got to keep the egg. The yolk is on you, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Easter is a time to have fun. It is the Super Bowl of the Christian year. So we celebrate. It's a positive, joyous time. Today we sing and we smile for very good reason. But that is not where it begins. Easter morning begins with a woman weeping because her dreams have been destroyed. John 20, 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Now all kinds of legends have risen around who this Mary is. We do know it's Mary Magdalene. A tradition dating back to the 8th century identifies her as the prostitute of Luke 7 who anointed Jesus with her tears, but there's nothing in Scripture to support that. The rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar. Remember that? portrays her as a sensuous woman torn between religious devotion and romantic attraction to Jesus. And she sings, I don't know how to love him. According to the Da Vinci Code, Mary becomes Jesus' wife, the mother of his child, and the leader of the church after his death. None of these portrayals have any biblical or historical support. What we are told is that Mary was one of the women who followed Jesus and helped to support him. We're also told that Jesus delivered her from seven demons. Now, we don't know exactly what demon possession looked like in Mary's life, but we do know from other accounts it was a nightmare. Demons could cause people to cut themselves, throw themselves into fire, and lose control. Such people were either locked up or thrown out to live on the street or out in the desert. Whatever Mary's past had been, Jesus had delivered her. She's set free. She's able to dream again, to dream about life. She has a future. But then, the assassination. And once again, her dreams are shattered. So she goes to the grave weeping and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've been taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. So you have two angels in white. Whenever you see angels, that's a hint. God's up to something. Two angels, one at the foot, one at the, uh, the head. Some see a parallel between the two thieves crucified on the cross, one in his right, one in his left. Now we have two angels at his resurrection. And the angels ask, why are you crying? 
in one sense, that is the most insensitive, ridiculous question ever. When you go to a funeral, do not ask that question. Okay? Of course she's crying. Her dreams have been shattered. The word for crying here is out of control crying, wailing, grief, and despair. But the angels are not seeking, inform- not seeking information with that question. It's just to get Mary to start thinking a different way. That's what a good question does. She says, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they put him. She assumes someone had stolen the body. And she may as well have saying, they've taken my dreams away. And I don't know where they're at. Would the demons come back to her? Would the nightmares return? Fantine was a young woman from Victor Hugo's novel, Les Miserables. Speaks a sings a powerful song as she finds herself in a desperate place. A summer lover has left her alone with a child. She finds work in a factory but has no place for her daughter to stay except with some cruel and crooked innkeepers. When it is discovered that she had a child out of wedlock, she's thrown out of the factory and into the streets, and she's forced to sell her hair and then her teeth and then her body in order to pay for her daughter's care. She's falsely accused of a crime, placed under arrest. On top of that, she's desperately sick. And out of that place, she sings, I dreamed a dream in years gone by. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. That's Mary Magdalene. Jesus' death has killed her dreams. Read about an experiment once where some people were hooked up to a brain machine overnight. And they would wake the person whenever they could tell he or she was starting to dream. Now the person got plenty of sleep, but they were not allowed to dream. And after the 24 hours of no dreaming, they became irritable, not from lack of sleep, but from lack of dreams. And after 48 hours of no dreaming, still got enough sleep, but not allowed to dream, they were not just irritable, they became mean, almost violent. And after 72 hours of no dreaming, they developed mental problems and physical problems. It just got worse and worse. And then they were allowed to sleep and dream again, 95% restored right back to normal. We need to dream when we're asleep, but also when we're awake. Because we all need hope. And dreams are basically hope. And hope is more than wishful thinking or naive optimism. We hope it doesn't rain. We hope the economy bounces back. We we hope the sermon doesn't go too long. That is wishful thinking. The, The dictionary tells us that hope is a desire with the expectation of fulfillment. So hope is not just wishful thinking. It expects something good, a confidence that it will happen. Without the expectation, it's just a wish. Wishes tend not to come true. But when we hope for something, we're counting on it, at least the possibility that it will come true. And when we lose hope, it's over. Viktor Frankl survived years in a Nazi concentration camp, and he noticed that prisoners died very often right after Christmas. They were hoping they would be free by then. And when they weren't released, they lost hope. And he learned in this concentration camp that as long as prisoners had something to live for, a reason to press on, they could endure just about anything. But once they lost hope, they died. Bobby Knight, he's a favorite here in Illinois. He has a different take on all this. He wrote a book entitled The Power of Negative Thinking. That sounds like something he would write. And according to Bobby Knight, hope is the worst word in the English language. He says it's foolish and lazy to tell yourself that things are going to be all right. They'll only be all right if somebody steps up and does something. And Bobby Knight is correct on that. Hope needs an objective reason, someone or something that can change the trajectory, that can get us to a better place. And without an objective reason, hope is just wishful thinking. 
Mary has no reason to hope this morning. Not even wishful thinking. She expected nothing more than a corpse. As far as she's concerned, there's no more dreams. So she did what we would all do at a fresh grave. She wept. At this, verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. She sees the resurrected Christ, but doesn't really see him. Something about him is different. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? There's that question again. Why are you crying? He wants her to start questioning her assumption that there is no hope and no more dreams. Why are you crying? Is there really no hope, Mary? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. So the tomb is in a garden. Can you think of another garden in the Bible and another woman? Garden of Eden? Eve? And what happened there was the breakdown between God and humanity, alienation, the curse, condemnation, death, violence enters the world. And now Mary is in this garden. So we actually have two women in two gardens. First garden is the fracture between God and humanity. Here in this garden, we're starting to see the beginning of the reconciliation, the healing between God and humanity. The curse is reversed. Sin is defeated. Instead of condemnation, now salvation and death is conquered. In the first garden, God came looking for them and said, where are you? In the second garden, Jesus asked the woman, who are you looking for? So there's parallels between these two. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. Which garden are you in today? The garden of despair or the garden of hope? Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. I don't know what changed for her to recognize him. Maybe it's the way he said her name. But she says Rabboni, which does mean teacher, but there's more to it than that. In Jewish literature, Rabboni is the term most frequently used to refer to God in Jewish prayer, the most frequently used term. And Mary, in essence, is the first to declare Jesus as Lord and as God. Maybe she doesn't even know it, but that's what she does. And once she realizes Jesus is alive, Mary can dream again. Hope is alive. He had proven that he's stronger than death, stronger than evil, stronger than all the bad things that can happen in the world, stronger than any nightmare, stronger than any demon possession that she had. We all have dreams that haven't come true. If you haven't had a dream not coming true, you're just not old enough. We've all had nightmares. By the way, you ever have a nightmare that just scares the spit out of you? You're falling and falling, or maybe someone is chasing you and you're running as fast as you can and you can't get away. That's the most common dream people have, by the way. You're running and trying to escape. Or you're about to die, some awful tragic death, or something terrible happens to someone close to you, and then you wake up and you might even be shaking and sweating from it. It seems so real, but then, whew, just a dream. And I think that's Mary's experience. The nightmare is over, and she wakes up. And then verse 17 is weird. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. And naturally, she would reach out to him, throw her arms around him, or take hold of his feet or something. Jesus says, don't touch me. It's kind of like when wives are mad at their husband. Don't touch me, you know? Maybe you don't know. I don't. In the original language, it means stop clinging to me. She's being so clingy. She didn't want to lose him again. She wants him to stay. So, so she's saying, don't leave me again. But then he says something that I think maybe shook her up again. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. In other words, I'm leaving again. He's not yet ascended. He's going to leave, which sounds like bad news. But what it means, and we know this from other scriptures, that Jesus will be with her, but not physically. 
He will be with all of them just as he had promised, but now not in the same way. He's going to return to the Father and send his Spirit to be with them and to be in them always and everywhere. From now on, Jesus is living in us. Jesus is with us in spirit, which is much better than physically actually, because he can be everywhere. So he ascends physically, returns spiritually to indwell us. The Holy Spirit is in every believer here today. So Jesus will go with you. We're going to Springfield. You are going to Lincoln. You are going to Chestnut, Elkhart, Lake Fork, wherever. So Jesus can be with his people wherever they are. And then he has a job for her. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Tell the others I am risen And I'm ascending, and that's what she did. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. He gives her a mission. So the dream is alive, and we need to tell others. Bobby Knight was right. Things don't get better just because we want them to or wish they would. They get better because somebody does something. Hope is always embodied in a person. Hope is not a, not a what, it's not a when, it's not a why. Hope is a who. Think about it. Shareholders hope the new CEO can turn the company around. Citizens hope a new leader can get their country back on track. A team hopes a new manager can lift them out of the doldrums. Somebody strong enough, somebody good enough, somebody competent enough to get this to a better place. And Jesus is that who. His resurrection proves that he is stronger than any nightmare, stronger than any setback, any failure, any loss or tragedy, any challenge you are facing. So if life has a way of killing dreams, Jesus has a way of bringing them back to life. There's always hope. I had a chance to go to the place that claims to make dreams come true. Our kids took us there in January. And we went... The first ride we went on is the most famous and the most irritating by many. It's a small world after all. (laughs) I've never been to Disney before. We saw Mickey and Goofy and Cinderella. And, of course, Disney's claim is a place where dreams come true. Disney's nice. It's fun. It really was. But it's not where dreams come true. That's a fantasy. The estimated number of visitors to Orlando's Walt Disney World each year, 60 million. But I know places will have 100 million visitors this year. For guys, it's where dreams do come true. Bass Pro Shop. (laughs) Amen? Yeah. No, no. The resurrection is where dreams can come true. Two gardens, two women... The first garden brings the curse. Adam and Eve's dream is destroyed. The second garden brings hope. The dream is resurrected. But there's a third garden and a third woman in the Bible. Revelation 21, at the end of time, he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. There's another woman when Jesus returns. This bride, every description about her in Revelation 21 proves that she's a metaphor for the church. And Paul in Ephesians says the church is the bride of Christ. It's us. We are the third woman. And then Revelation 22 describes what's in this city. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Remember a river in the first garden? As clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Where else? 
tree of life, first garden, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. There's an abundance, not just fruit once a year, every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse like we had in the first garden. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light just as He did in Genesis 1. God's the source of light and they will reign forever and ever. So we actually have three women in three gardens. The first, the dream is shattered. The second, the dream is resurrected. And the third, the final garden, the dream comes true. Some of you are enduring some pretty crappy stuff. And life is a nightmare. And life has a way of killing dreams. But Jesus has a way of bringing them and us back to life. Your dreams will someday come true if you cling to Him. And I want to ask the question that Jesus asked Mary, who is it you are looking for? What are you looking for? What are you pursuing? Where are you putting your hope in? Mary turned to Jesus and proclaimed Him as the Lord, the Roboni. And may I encourage you to do the same. Name Him as your Lord and your Savior. Follow Him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and your dreams will come true. At the end of the service, we're going to have prayer counselors down front here, and I want to encourage you to come and talk to them, and they'll pray with you. They'll answer questions you'll have. And I want to encourage you to do it today. Make today a new start a new beginning of a new dream. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we are filled with hope this morning. We've been given reason to rejoice. But for some, hope is in short supply right now. And for some, the dreams have died. And life is hard. And we together as a body, as your bride, pray that your spirit will dwell within and reaffirm all of our hopes. And that your spirit will encourage and point us to the who of hope. And may we cling to your son who gives life and allows us to dream again. I pray today will be a new start, a new beginning. For others, I pray this day will be a confirmation, a reaffirmation that Jesus is our Rabboni. And may we live for you as you live in us through your spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.